Lord God, we thank you for this glorious day where we remember what you have done for us and conquered death. We pray that this Easter would be like none other in our lives. That we would not walk away from here this day not having met you, the risen Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, you would think our thoughts, that my lips would be yours, that you would bend our wills to yours, O Lord, and you would take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your Son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Which one of us at one time or another has not gone to either a purchase or to some kind of life choice between two things and all of a sudden you recognize you settled for second best, right? You should have done A, but you did B, right? We, each and every one of us has at one time had that settled, I, I just kind of settled. I should have done this and maybe pushed through the experience, you know, to get the A, and I settled for a B, my parents told me, all right? <laughs> Country music is full of such stories, you know, the Dixie Tricks. Wanda looked all around this town, and all she found was Earl, you know? You know, I ain't settling for just getting by. Had enough so-so for the rest of my life. Tired of shooting too low. Got to raise the bar high. Just enough ain't enough this time. I ain't settling for anything less than everything. Sugarland, 2006. <laughs> They're going on tour, by the way. They'll be in Youngstown in July. I highly recommend them. But that's what we do, right? But friends, you are surrounded by friends and family at Christ Church that we're not settling for anything. Because we recognize Jesus has truly risen. So I invite you to open up with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. If you're visiting with us, you will see it in the very back of your bulletin, the Gospel of Mark. As you're turning, I especially want to thank those who helped pull this glorious day together, especially our administrators, Sybil Monday, Iris Neal, do so much work behind the scenes. Thank you, Sybil. It's a delight to work with you. It's not a delight to work with me, I know. But the reality is, the reality is, uh, this church runs because of their ministry among us. To Gary Conaway, who's our financial administrator, who, secretary, who makes sure all the bills are paid so we can have all this. To Dottie and the Altar Guild team. Doesn't it look beautiful? You know, it, it, it just, if you've been with us throughout the week, it's a stark difference. And that's the whole point. As we walk the way of the cross, you come in this morning, you can smell the lilies. The new life that we have in Christ. I want to thank Chris. Hund and the greeter team and the ushers for coming here early and stepping out in 35 degree weather. It's Cleveland. <laughs> and greeting our visitors and uh, to the Christchurch community for just walking the way of the cross this week. And even if you weren't able to be here, just thank you for being here this morning. And especially thankful to all of you who maybe you haven't been here in a while or maybe you're here for the very first time. You know, it takes a lot of guts to walk through these doors. You know, I don't like to visit churches that aren't my own, personally. 
but you're here, and I just want to say I got huge respect for you. Thank you for being here this morning. So the question that we're considering this morning is, can I have a future that's worth getting excited about? And the gospel's answer, God's answer, the Bible's answer for you is, if you have Jesus, then your future is a resurrection like his that we've just heard read. God is not asking you to settle for anything. God is inviting you to stop settling. God is not offering you, as a Christian, some kind of consolation prize that you have deluded yourself into thinking the Christian life is. God is holding out before you today as a free gift through his mercy and grace, a future that only Jesus deserves, and he gives it to you as a gift if you will take it. And that's worth getting excited about. And it's good news, especially in the uncertainty of our times. I'm 56. I have never seen the political climate like I've seen in my lifetime. You look over American history, it's been worse, but not in my lifetime it hasn't. And, and it feels like we've, in one week, gone back to the Cold War. Doesn't it? You know, and so I've, I thought about this. You know, the, we have never had the problems like we've had today. And so you and I need a future that this world can't destroy. And God offers it only to you in Jesus Christ. The Christian life is not, as some of you think, coming to church to get a psychological pick-me-up so I can carry myself through the stressful work week. No, it's as, the Christian life is as big and as powerful and as rugged, and as durable, as eternal, and as immortal, and as glorious as the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. So let's look at this scene in Mark 16, shall we? You know, it is the evening of that day. Now you have the women show up in the morning. Mary, the mother of, of uh, Salome, and Mary Magdalene all come together, and they discover that Jesus isn't there. And there's an angel that informs them, he is risen, he's not here. So they, they don't tell anybody, but they do go to his friends and they say, hey, Jesus is risen. And they're women, you know, and back in that culture, women's testimony wasn't even allowed in court. So they're like, yeah, you're just being hysterical. No, nah, we don't buy it. Well, then the two Emmaus Road disciples arrive, we heard. And those are dudes. And they don't believe them either. So Jesus arrives in verse 14 of chapter 16. Afterward, Jesus appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table. You see, this isn't Lazarus resurrected. This is different. Lazarus died and was raised again, and they welcomed him back. But they're not as stunned with Lazarus' resurrection as they are with Jesus's. Why? Because he is a transformed, molecular Jesus. There's something different about him. This was not a ghost. You know, our culture, you die in the afterlife, you become like Jacob Marley. You know? <laughs> and you can see through me, but I'll be back and I'll haunt you. You know? Or you're like Obi-Wan Kenobi. You know? Now... You know me well enough. I love those stories. I love them. They're great stories. And, they're, and 
They're redemptive in some ways as well. But that belief is from paganism. It's not the good news that the gospel holds out for us. No, the reality is these disciples knew Jesus has been dead since last Friday at 3 o'clock. They saw him buried, they scattered, and they've been running for their lives ever since. Because they knew the Romans were really good at killing people. And here he is. And we know through Luke's gospel, the very first words Jesus say to him as that he appears to them is peace. He's not angry with them. He knows they don't buy the women's testimony, and they should. He knows they don't buy the Emmaus Road testimony, and they should. He says, peace, boys. And I think that's what he's saying to each and every one of us this morning. I know this world's a mess, but peace, peace. What's your reply to that Jesus? Why is Mark and the other biographers talking about Jesus and his resurrection glory in this way? I'll tell you why. God wants each and every one of you to know that if you have Jesus, his newness on this day will be yours. We look out at the world and we say, is this all there is? Well, if you're without Jesus, yeah, that's all it's going to be for you. And in the end, it's going to get a lot worse than that. But what if Mark 16 is describing both Jesus and a future you? A resurrected you. A immortal you. A sinless you. A glorious you. Forever. See, God did not create you for mediocrity. God did not create you for settling for second best. He created you for glory, magnificence. And that's worth getting excited about. And the Bible is saying God really wants to give it to you. Do you mind receiving the gift? Do you mind? So we're going to think about this for a few minutes, and then I'm going to invite you to receive the gift that Jesus is. And it's interesting. Jesus is presented here not like our culture presents him, as Jesus is some kind of wise, sage-like, feathered-backed, with lots of product in his hair, prophet, good teacher. You know? If you put on those glasses and you read the Bible like that, what you're going to discover is that this is a real boring book. I, I, I don't, I don't want to see Jesus like that. And it's not just because I don't want one, because that's not the one that's presented here. Because what's presented here is a real Lord God. Humanity invented that idea. But this is a resurrected Jesus that Paul describes as the new Adam. You know, the old Adam messed it up for all of us. You know, we're all sinful. But yet, Jesus is described as the new Adam who lived perfectly unto the Lord and solved our problem upon the cross. And so therefore, because of that, Jesus is heading up a new human race, 
that God is resurrecting out of deadness and recreating a whole new human race, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, that will live forever. We will run forever. We will play forever with new bodies forever, with a new renewed universe forever. Do you get it? That's what this is about. We don't have to speculate about the future. You don't have to say, are you certain you're going to heaven? I hope so. What? Why do you hope so? He is risen. You don't have to resort to wishful thinking. 2,000 years ago, we see in time new humanity in Jesus Christ. That's our future in him. Therefore, the answer to our question, can we have a future worth getting excited about? Oh, yeah. In Jesus Christ, here's the new human being that I'm going to be if I will trust in Jesus alone. I offer nothing. In Jesus, you have what a real human being looks like. See, we think we can go on spring break to Florida or Galveston or Cancun, and I'm sitting out on the beach and I'm having a great time. I'm living the dream. This is really living. But that's an exaggeration, quite frankly. Our existence right now is not life. It's a living death on our way to life in Jesus Christ. That's what we have. And the risen Jesus is God's total package deal for each and every one of us of everything that we desire forever. See, God is not saying to you, you just don't want the right things. Just come on over here and I'll give you some other things that you will learn to want. No, he's not saying that. And some of you really believe that's what Christianity is all about. What God is offering you is what your heart desires but perfected. Now, I'm really glad you're here this morning. But here's the reason why you might want to get up and leave right now. I hope you don't, but I owe you a fair warning. On that great and final day when you will stand before God and you're going to give him an account of your life, after this morning you will not be able to use the classic excuse that some of you are banking on. And it goes like this, Lord, I really didn't know I, I'm, you know those people who really never heard of Jesus? I'm like them. In the next 10 minutes, you will never, ever, ever again to be able to say that to the Lord. And for those of you who might walk out, well, you got another problem as well. And that is because you don't, you think you, well, I don't want to hear. Do you really think God's going to buy that? Do you really think God's going to, Got the discernment of a four-year-old. You see, this morning, you really are at a fork in the road. You really, at this point, like any relationship, you're going to move toward Jesus or you're going to move away. And I hope you move forward for this reason. This crucified and risen Lord is the total deal of everything that you desire for yourself. So if you reject him, you're rejecting your perfected self. Why would you do that? And I'm going to invite you 
to receive this gift so you can get your future back. So don't turn away. Don't run out. I hope you won't. But if you do, there's only one reason why a person would do that is they just want to run their lives their way. I'm going to do it my way. I am spiritual but not religious. Oh, baloney. <laughs> You're very religious. Very religious. You just worship yourself in small little form. That's what so many people do. You know, there's only one reason we want to run our lives our own way. Because we like this world. And you know what? God designed us to like this world. Who doesn't like to go out on the lake on a beautiful day when the waves aren't five feet high? A beautiful, calm summer day, and you can crank that boat open. Who doesn't like to walk the Appalachian Trail? Who doesn't like to climb the Rockies or see Yellowstone? Who doesn't like to be on the beach in South Carolina or sail a sailboat on Chesapeake Bay? Why? Because it's a pretty good world. Who doesn't like Giordano's Pizza, where I'm going to eat tomorrow night because I'm going to see my granddaughter? <laughs> you can be jealous. It's a wonderful world, and God created it that way. And he gave it to us for our joy, but for his glory. You see, the reality is, each and every one of us want to run our lives our own way. Welcome to the club. Little experiment. Can we all agree that the Ten Commandments are probably a good thing? It's not a good idea to murder people. It's not a good idea to steal. Can we all agree? Does anybody disagree? All right, everybody raise your hand right now. Everybody raise. Hi. Get them up. Get them up. When you break one of these commandments, I want you to drop your hand, okay? All right. Raise it. Raise your hand. Raise them. All right. Raise them. All right. You shall have no other gods but Jesus Christ. You've never broken that command ever in your life. All right. Secondly, you shall have no idols, nothing created above. You, you don't worship any car, anything, anything. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Gotcha. Yeah, me too. I stopped in the first one. You just admitted we're all sinners. All right? Each and every one of us. Our question of the week, there is no righteous, no, not one. We know that. And the reality is we can't stand before God at all. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 48, if you want to go on your own works, be perfect because your Father in heaven is perfect, Matthew 5, 48. And therefore we can't save ourselves. Proverbs 4 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. So to those of you who have not lived unto the Lord, you know what you're living, you're living unto death and you're settling. And God is merciful and wants you to come into him, because this is where you're going to find life. He's merciful. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Even when you're flipping the bird at him, he says, I love you. But he's also just, Exodus 34, 7, he will no by means leave the guilty unpunished. You see, and we've just admitted we're guilty before a holy God. Every one of us admitted we're guilty. And the good news is that God in Jesus Christ loves you right as you are. And he, on the cross, died for that sin which we have committed against him. 
And therefore, as we trust in him and him alone for our salvation, we're given the gift of eternal life. And in this life, an abundant one, full of purpose, meaning, and joy. See, the disciples did come to believe and trust. But before that, 14b, what does Jesus do? He rebuked them for their unbelief, their hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who saw him after he is risen. The word there, rebuke, is not an angry, he's not ticked at them. <laughs> he's saying, uh, Mary, Mary Magdalene, Salome, they're right, boys. I know they're women. Listen to them. I created male and female. All right? It's the first worldview ever to honor women that way. Those two Emmaus Road disciples, boys, they're right. They saw me. You need to listen to them. You see, doubt is normal. You know, we have doubts at times, but we take them to Jesus. And therefore, that's what I'm asking you to do, is to take all your doubt and what little faith you have and give it to Jesus. Because some of you, all of your life, have been searching in the wrong places. And you don't have joy, peace, happiness, purpose, and meaning. You've been looking, but you haven't found it. The risen Jesus Christ looks at you this morning through the cross and says, I love you. And it's through that relationship, as you place your trust in him, you grow and you walk and he will give you a peace, a joy, a security, an assurance, a happiness, a purpose, and a meaning as you have never known. And a sense of belonging into the community which he calls his church. And you may be thinking, I just don't have enough faith as you're talking to. You have all the faith you need. You know, you place your trust in Jesus and what ends up happening is you might think you may not have enough faith, but he has enough faith for you. And he'll hold on to you as you trust in him alone. Because Buddha's dying words were strive without ceasing. Jesus' dying words were it is finished. Stop striving. I've done it all for you. The Quran says God does not love anyone given to treachery and sin. Well, we all just admitted we're full of treachery and sin. And Jesus says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. It's by grace, through faith, in Jesus alone that we have salvation. And I want to invite you to receive him as your Savior, but also your Lord. You can't, he's, he's, he's the whole package. See, if he comes into your life, he's all in. Okay? He's going to take over, you know? And that's a good thing for each and every one of us, quite frankly. And because God has forgiven us all of our sins by canceling the record of debt and nailing it to the cross for us. He tallies up everything that I owed him due to my own stupidity and put them, nailed them to the cross. Paul said, I implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin on the cross. So that in him, by faith, we might become the righteousness of God. That's what we are. You don't feel it. You just are. It's both the experience, but it's grounded in his word. 
So therefore, as we recognize that my sin is nailed to the cross and I trust in him alone and my debt's paid in full, that means I no longer have to deserve good from God. Jesus deserved it for me and he took away all the hell that I actually deserve. He takes away my heart of stone, according to Ezekiel. He gives me a heart of flesh. And then he gives me the Holy Spirit and he empowers me. He doesn't gift the he doesn't call the gifted, he gifts the called. And I recognize that the endless power of the Holy Spirit gives me new instincts, new passions, new desires, a new personality. Who doesn't want a new personality? I'm tired of being a jerk. <laughs> Is that your experience? It can be. As a new creation in Jesus Christ. Every other worldview puts the pressure on us to become the kind of human beings that God would approve of. Christianity says, let God do that for you. He's really good at transformation. So do you want to receive the gift with me? Let's pray. And just join me in the prayer. You say this with me in the quietness of your heart. Heavenly Father, I believe that I am a sinner, and I want forgiveness for all of my sins, known, unknown, things done, those things left undone. Lord, I receive you as the gift that you are, as my Savior and Lord. I give you my life now to do with as you wish, all in. And Lord, I pray you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit for your honor and for your glory alone. If you agree with that prayer, let us all say, Amen. 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 And now to start a new walk.